Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. We are honored that you've chosen to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful that you are with us today, as well as all of those worshiping with us in Prescott Valley. Uh, so grateful to have you as a part of the Quad City family. If you're a newcomer with us, so glad that you're here. We are working our way as a church through the book of the Bible called Romans. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and grab those and you can join me today in Romans chapter 14. That's where we're going to be today. And as we've done throughout this whole series, uh, we're going to take a moment and read our text for the day out loud. We made a commitment when we started the book of Romans to read the entire book of Romans from this platform through this series. So we're going to continue that today. So if you're able, I'd invite you to stand if you could. And we're going to read today from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. And this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. 
It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Father, we are grateful for your word, for the moment, this sacred moment that we can speak it over one another, and I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would use it today to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. So I'm gonna start our time together today with a little bit of a warning. Uh, there is a good chance today that I am going to offend you, okay? And I know some of you are thinking, what's new? <laughs> I get it. I'm going to say some things that are gonna make you wanna kind of bow up a little bit and you're gonna kind of wanna argue back with me um, and I said there may be even some of you that want to feel like you're going to come fight me at Pastor's Point, but I just need you to remember, I have Josh on my team. <laughs> and here's the reality. The reality is that that feeling of kind of wanting to uh, fight back a little bit, that, that feeling of offense is actually a good thing because until you feel that feeling of offense, you can't actually put this text into practice. Like there has to be a moment where you feel angst to be able to put this into practice. Today, I'm gonna start by giving you the point of the sermon. Now, oftentimes, I'll save this for the end and it's kind of the wrap up, but today, I wanna give it to you right up front. Here's the entire point of today's message in a sentence. Love for your brothers and sisters is more important than your liberty in Jesus, okay? This is the whole point of this text. Love for your brothers and sisters is more important than your liberty in Jesus. Now, let me remind you of the context to help explain this a little bit. Remember the context here is, that we learned last week is that in following Jesus, there are indisputable matters. There are things that we know and believe and do that are indisputable, that we hang on to them, they are closed-handed for us, we won't let them go. There are other issues that are in the disputable category. There are good, God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christians who think differently about other issues. So we hold those in an open hand. There are these indisputable matters that are essential to the faith. And it's these indisputable matters that make us brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, for instance, that you have to believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came to earth as God in the flesh and died in our place and for our sin. If you choose not to believe that, if you don't hold that as indisputable, then we can be neighbors, we can be friends, I can love you, you can love me, but you are not my brother or sister. We can be friends, but we are not of the same family. Indisputable that Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins, okay? That makes us brothers and sisters. Now, on the, but not, but there's this other hand of, of disputable matters that do not rise up to that level. What you believe about eschatology or how we take communion or which version of the Bible is right, or more practically, 
how you feel about drinking or Harry Potter or political affiliation or tattoos or gummies. Not the Flintstone ones, the other ones. We can disagree about all of that stuff and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. But the question becomes, how do we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how do we interact with one another? How do we act toward each other when we have these strong convictions, which you should, about the disputable matters, but at the end of the day, we find ourselves on opposing sides of the matter? And here's the answer. You recognize that love for your brothers and sisters is more important than your liberty in Jesus. In other words, that you and I are willing to give up our liberty, give up our freedom in Christ because we love our brothers and sisters more than we love our freedom in Christ. So that's the big idea. Now I'm gonna walk through this text and see if we can find a way to get offended. Here we go. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So Paul continues where we left off last week. If you've got your Bible open, you'll see that he left off last week reminding us that, hey, you are not to judge your brother or sister when it comes to these disputable matters. They have a master and you ain't it. Like they will stand before God and answer for how they understand these disputable matters and you'll answer to God for how you understand them. But we are not to judge one another as it relates to these disputable matters. So stop judging. Stop judging each other on the disputable matters. Instead, here's the expectation. Make up your mind. Instead, decide ahead of time. Decide ahead of time not to put a stumbling block in the way of your brother or sister. Now, this whole command, in fact, this whole section is really talking to those who would be in the strong in faith camp. So we talked about it last week. There are some who have weak faith, some who have strong faith. Those who are strong in their faith have more liberty. They feel free to live in a different way than those who have weak faith. And so he says to those who have strong faith, who live with more freedom, he says, you need to decide ahead of time, I will not indulge in my liberty in Christ if indulging in my liberty would cause a brother or sister to stumble in any way. Now, the situation that often gets applied to this, which is really helpful for us to begin this conversation, is is when we talk about alcohol. Many of you, you grew up in an age where alcohol was seen as taboo, like any follower of Jesus should not drink alcohol, like at all, that is unwise and ungodly. I think most Christians today kind of fall the other way. A lot of y'all like Lutheran and say, oh, drinking's fine. We do it all the time. Like that is not a problem for a lot of believers today. But thinking about alcohol is a great application for this text. Like if you know somebody who feels like, no, 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 it's a sin and we shouldn't be doing it, then when you invite them over to your house, 
even though you would love to have a nice glass of wine with dinner, you lay down your right to drink that glass of wine. You lay down that right to enjoy a cocktail after dinner. You lay it down for the sake of your brother or sister because loving your brother or sister is more important than you living in your liberty. Now, that doesn't mean that they're right. In fact, I think on that issue, they're probably wrong. They're wrong. Scripture doesn't say you shouldn't have any alcohol. It says you shouldn't be a drunkard. Having a glass of wine with supper is not a problem. But it doesn't matter if you're right. That's not the point. You being right doesn't make it right. Because at the end of the day, we're called to lay down our rights to love our brother and sister more than we love our liberty in Jesus. Paul says this, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Again, the example that Paul's been using that was a, an issue in the church there in Rome was about eating meat. Because for Jewish believers had been told all of their life, you can't just eat any kind of meat. There's only specific kinds of meat that you can eat. There's a lot on the do not eat list. And so if you eat one of those, you're in trouble. And even if it's on the you can eat this list, if it was killed in the wrong way or cooked in the wrong way, then it was still a sin. And so there's a lot of problems with meat. And in the Roman society, it went a step further because most of the meat in the market was meat that had been sacrificed in the temples. So you would go and offer your sacrifice to Aphrodite or Zeus or Jupiter, and they would burn up some of it, and they would take the rest of it and sell it in the market. And so there was a lot of those who came out of a Jewish faith and said, we just can't eat this stuff. It may have a demon in it. I mean, who knows what's going on? We can't eat this meat. And yet, Paul says, That's not true. It's not unclean in and of itself. So Paul says they're wrong, 100% wrong. Nothing is unclean. So what do we do? So we just say, get over it. Eat the meat. Let's Let's have brats and a beer. Like that's what we should be doing. Get over it. It's okay. Paul said it's okay. So Just eat the meat, right? Wrong. Because if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Again, so important for me to remind you, Paul is not saying that sin is a matter of personal opinion. He is not teaching us that as long as you think it's okay, then it's okay for you. It's not what we're talking about. Scripture clearly says there are things that are sinful, but there are also things that good Jesus followers can disagree on. They have a difference of opinion where Scripture doesn't clearly speak. And in those instances, what Paul's going to reveal to us is that our conscience matters. Our conscience matters. If something feels wrong, even if it isn't wrong, It is wrong for them. Think about it this way. Imagine you have a kid. Some of you, you got a grandkid. And for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, your kid or grandkid came to the belief that the word vlork is a bad word. Like it's like the worst of the words. Like if you want to really offend somebody, 
call them a vlork. And that would just be like putting them in their place. Like that's the most offensive thing that you could say to somebody. Now, you know, vlork isn't a word. It doesn't even mean anything. And so it doesn't offend you. You could go down to the square today and walk around and go vlork, 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 calling people vlorks all day. And nobody's going to get offended. They'll just walk on the other side of the sidewalk because you're a weirdo, right? But nobody's going to get offended at that. So imagine today, though, that your kid did think it was wrong. Somewhere along the way, they believed that calling someone a vlork was the worst thing that you could say to them. And you go to lunch this afternoon, and your kid looks at you and says, vlork, you mother. Did they sin? Word doesn't mean anything. You know it doesn't mean anything. But you know it's a sin. Because in that moment, even though what they said wasn't bad, because they thought it was bad, it is bad for them. Because them saying a thing that they thought was bad reflects a heart of rebellion. That's what Paul's talking about. If someone thinks something is bad and then they do it, even though they think it's bad, in that moment they're They're acting in rebellion to what they believe is right, and that's wrong. But it's not only wrong for them to say it, it would also then be wrong for you to say it in their presence. Imagine you saying a word to your kid that they believe is the most offensive word. And you know it's not an offensive word, but when you say that to them or around them, you are just reinforcing this hurt in their soul. You are wounding and confusing them. How could a Jesus follower who loves me say that word to me? Paul makes the same argument to those who are strong in their faith about eating meat in front of people who have weak faith. He says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, You are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Again, remember, what is the overarching point today? Love for your brother and sister is more important than your liberty in Jesus. And when you are doing something that causes distress for your brother and sister, you are no longer acting in love. You're not loving them. You're not loving them. And so Paul says, don't destroy somebody by acting on your liberty. Don't destroy someone for whom Christ died. Like Jesus valued your brother or sister. He valued this person so much that he was willing to lay down his life for them. And if Jesus was willing to lay down his life for them because he valued them so much, why would we not value them enough to lay down our liberties for them? If they matter to Jesus enough to lay down his life, they ought to matter enough to us for us to lay down our liberties. Love your brothers and sisters is more important than your liberty in Jesus. And if you pull out a BLT sandwich with your Jewish neighbor, 
you are not acting in love. They think it's unclean, and for them, that would make it unclean. You are free to eat your ham sandwich all day long, but if you do it and hand it to them or in front of them, you're not loving them. So here comes the offensive part. I want us to think about some areas where we may have liberty in Christ, but acting on that liberty could actually cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. I want us to think about some areas where we have freedom, but acting on that freedom could cause our brothers and sisters to be distressed, okay? So that's where we're going. And I want us to then determine that that we believe and are gonna act in a way that puts the love of our brothers and sisters above our liberty. So here's the first one. I want us to think about the area of language for just a moment. Now, there are some Christians who believe that they can say almost any word. Like words have meaning and we give them meaning and none of them come with meaning except the meaning that we give them and so none of them are inherently bad. In fact, there are pastors who find it a little bit trendy to curse in their sermons because they feel like it helps them to connect with the unchurched world and they can do it with a clear conscience. Many believe that as long as you're not saying the bad word to someone or about someone, then it's not that big of a deal. Now, there are others who don't see it that way. There are others who get distressed, not just if you say the bad word, but actually if you say the alternative to the bad word. Like there are some who would get distressed if you say shoot, not just the other S word. Or if you say Frick or frig or flipping or freaking instead of the other F word. There's some who get just as angst up if you say gosh dang it as opposed to if you say the other word. And so what do we do with that? When you find yourself in an environment where you know there are people who likely do not feel the liberty to use those words in a way that would be glorifying to God, They're not free to speak that way. What should you do? The answer is simple. You love your brothers and sisters more than you love your liberty in Jesus. Let's talk about gambling for a moment. There are some Christians who say all gambling is wrong and you should not do it. It's bad stewardship and it dishonors God. There are other Christians who would say, no, 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 it's just like every other form of entertainment. You set your limit before you walk in, you go to the craps table, and you spend your discretionary entertainment money, not your mortgage payment, your discretionary money, and once that money's gone, then you walk away, and you enjoy the time that you have, and you move on with your life. There are others who would say, on the other side, who say, Christians should never go to Las Vegas. It is sin city, after all, as if there is a city that doesn't have sin. But that's another sermon for another time. Others think it's okay to go to Las Vegas as long as you're going to see a show or you're going to a concert, but you should never go to a casino. 
You should never stay in a hotel with a casino because in doing so, you're actually supporting the devil's work through the casinos. If you feel the liberty, so what do we do? If you feel the liberty, the freedom to go to Vegas, stay in a casino, enjoy that, then to the glory of God, go and enjoy that. But if you have somebody with you who does not feel that freedom, then don't go to Vegas and don't talk about going to Vegas and don't share pictures of you being in Vegas. You shouldn't, you shouldn't try to talk them into going to Vegas. You shouldn't tell them they are wrong and you are right. If you're riding to Utah together, then you go around the Grand Canyon instead of going through Las Vegas. Why? Because at the end of the day, love for your brothers and sisters is more, than, more important than your liberty in Jesus. Here may be the most dangerous one I bring up today. What does it look like to love our brothers and sisters in the area of modesty? This one used to be seen as simply a issue that women have to deal with, but men aren't exempt here. Uh, there's this whole social media phenomenon about men in gray sweatpants, and you can go check that out if you want. I recommend you don't. But the point is that sweatpants are tight enough to kind of show your stuff, but loose enough to show your stuff moving. And so this is a way that women enjoy Looking at men, thirst traps aren't just posted by ladies. Apparently, there are thirst traps posted for ladies. And if you don't know what a thirst trap is, just ask somebody under 30, okay? But I'm looking at the guys in this room today, um, and my guess is most of you are not posting shirtless bathroom selfies on your Instagram, and for that, I say thank you. But if you are, stop. Like, just stop. Now, for the ladies, this issue is a lot more difficult. And it's a lot more personal. And it's a lot more emotional. Also because of things that good Christian people have told you. Things that they said to you when you hit puberty at 12 that made you then begin to feel like your body is dirty because of the changes that were happening to you. Or that your, your favorite outfit was too seductive at 13. And for that, I just want to say I'm sorry that that's part of the story of the church for you. Yet here we are, and we have to figure out how do we apply this text, what Paul's teaching us. What does loving my brothers and sisters look like in the area of modesty? And like all disputable matters, there are always multiple ways that you can look at this issue. Some ladies 
believe that there are certain clothes that they just shouldn't wear, that there are certain parts of their body they just shouldn't accentuate, that there are certain styles that are inappropriate for a follower of Jesus because it reveals things that are reserved for their husband and they feel a conviction around not putting their body on display in a way that would make anybody think of them in any way that would dishonor the Lord. But there are other ladies who would say, that what other people think about them when they see them in their outfits, well, that's on them. It's not on me. I am free to wear whatever I want. And if somebody stumbles because of what I have on or what I don't have on, that's their problem. And God gave me my body and I don't feel like I should have to hide it because somebody else may struggle. To which I would say, you may be right. You may be right, but being right isn't the issue. The issue is that you are called to love your brothers and sisters more than your liberty in Jesus. So what does loving your brother and sister look like in this area of modesty? Now, before we leave this topic altogether, I need to talk to the guys one more time real quick because some of you guys feel like when you see an attractive woman that you have the liberty to look as long and as close as you want. You feel a liberty to stare them down if you so desire. You tell yourself that if she didn't want people looking at her, then she really wouldn't dress like that. So you take advantage of the opportunity to take in what she's showing off. And while you hate to see her go, you love to watch her leave. And I'm not even suggesting at this point that you're lusting after them. I mean, you may actually be able to convince yourself that you are looking to the glory of God. That you're able to enjoy that view with thanksgiving to Jesus. And you tell yourself and you tell your buddies, hey, I'm just admiring God's creation. And let's just say for the sake of argument, you're right. Let's just say you have the ability to look and not lust, to admire without desiring. But again, here's the question. What, what does loving your sister look like? Because here's what I know. What you call admiration for her, oftentimes she perceives as objectification of her. You think it's admiration. She thinks it's objectification, even if you don't intend it to be. And so because we want to love our sisters more than we love our liberty in Jesus, it's time for us as men to own the responsibility of where our eyes and our mind goes. What about Christmas and Easter and Halloween? I hear somebody laughing because here's the funny, I get this every year. Every time we have one of these holidays, I get asked about this. I get a statement. Somebody sends me an article about Christmas, Halloween, and Easter. 
Most of you have no issues with these holidays. You enjoy them for what they are. They're part of your family history. You enjoy making memories on these days. It is all good. But there are some who look at these days and they say that they have their history in pagan holy days and anything that comes from a pagan culture needs to be rejected outright. To which I always think, the only reason you know that is because you Googled it on your iPhone, which both of those came from a pagan culture. <laughs> but again, that's a sermon for another day. But they will say, look, you should not put up a tree for Christmas. Like that's a pagan ritual and you shouldn't be about that. You should not do an Easter egg hunt at Easter time, Resurrection Sunday, because it comes from pagan rituals. You should not have trick-or-treating at the church or even take your family because those all come from pagan culture and the church just usurped those days and created Christian holidays out of them. But just like the Roman church had people who said you can't eat the meat because it might have connections to pagan ideology, you can't celebrate these holidays because they have connection with pagan ideologies. Christians just shouldn't do it. So what's the answer? You love your brothers and sisters more than your liberty in Christ. In other words, you don't invite them over for Christmas dinner and you don't send them a Christmas card. You don't egg their house. You don't go trick-or-treating with them. You don't try to convince them that they are wrong and you are right. You find another occasion to celebrate with them that's not connected to a pagan ritual. You don't ask them to be a part of things that would go against their conscience. And again, we could keep going. There's lots of these areas that we have to think about this through. But at the end of the day, the command is simple. You love your brothers and sisters more than you love your liberty in Jesus. We lay down our rights if exercising our right distresses those around us. Now, here's the irony to this whole thing for me. Most of us, we have no issue with laying down our liberties, laying down our rights when we go to another culture or country. We have no problem with that. When we go to Israel, to go up on the Temple Mount, it is expected that everyone have long pants. You do not show your legs on the Temple Mount. It's a holy space. You don't do that. And when we take trips and we take people to Israel, nobody has a problem with that. For sure, we'll put on whatever you ask us to wear. Whenever you're in Israel and you go to a place a church of any kind, a sacred site that has a church on it, all of the women are expected to cover their shoulders and cover their head. You don't, you don't, you don't go in there with your head uncovered because it is offensive in that holy place to those people. And again, we, nobody has a problem with covering their head and covering their shoulders in those environments. We just we're happy to lay down our rights in those moments. If you've ever gone on a mission trip, I guarantee every single time there was a moment where somebody had a meeting and they created a list and said, here are the things that are very normal and natural to us that we have no problem with, but these are the things that would 
uh, uh, offend our host people. And so we don't do these things, even though you're used to doing it, we're not gonna do these things. And even though you have the right to wear shorts and a tank top, because you recognize it would be distressing for these people, we don't do it. We, we are happy to lay down our rights so as not to offend people who are not even our brothers and sisters. We do it because we don't want to offend the Muslims or the Jewish people. They're not our brothers and sisters, but we happily lay down our rights so as not to offend people who are not our brothers and sisters. And it, and it makes me wonder why we are more than happy to lay down our rights in the presence of other cultures, but we have a really, really hard time laying down our rights in our own culture. We are more than happy to lay down our rights for people who aren't our brothers or sisters, but we want to bow up and fight for our right to keep our rights in the face of our own brothers and sisters. We don't mind defending them. Paul sums up this idea like this. He said, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, that we're gonna live in such a way that both parties, the weak and the strong, in any moment are both lifting each other up. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's wrong. If what you're doing causes somebody else to stumble, even if you think you're right, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else. You know what's included in anything else? Anything else. What you say, how you dress, how you, what you watch, what you sing, anything else. It's better not to do anything else that would cause your brother or sister to fall. Again, at the end of the day, Paul's trying to make it clear, even when we are free to do something, anything, if our freedom would in any way cause a brother or sister to fall, we are to give up our rights because we love our brothers and sisters more than we love our own liberty. And Paul drops this little nugget in. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. In other words, all of these disputable matters, all of these things you have opinions over, Paul says, you are free to keep them to yourself. Keep it between you and God. Nobody needs to know how you feel about all this stuff. Your opinion ain't that great. So keep it to yourself. Stop trying to lecture people about your opinion. I know this is hard because we've created platforms in our world where you feel free to blast your opinion so that the whole world gets to hear your opinion. You're gonna sound off on all the stuff because your opinion is so valuable and I'm just here to tell you it's not. Paul says keep it to yourself. In other words, don't email me this week about all the ways that I'm wrong on these disputable matters. 
You're going to answer to God. They're going to answer to God. So whatever you believe about this stuff, keep it between you and God. That's what he says. Here's the reality. Your conscience is for you. Their conscience is for them. My conscience is for me. And I think so much of the quarreling and fighting and division in the church world would cease in an instant if the moment we stopped trying to put our conscience on somebody else. Your conscience is for you. And your conscience may give you freedom to do things their conscience does not give them freedom to do. And Paul says, when it comes to these disputable matters, keep it to yourself. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So here are your options when it comes to these disputable matters. Wherever you land, are you operating out of your conviction? That's the question. Does your conviction come from your faith? Like, I do not eat that to the glory of God, or I eat all of that to the glory of God. If you are violating your convictions, you will condemn yourself. If you don't know, is this right or is this wrong, then it is wrong for you. Because you are operating out of your doubts and not out of your faith. Now, I just want to make sure that we understand this one more time. This isn't to say that our consciences are God. It's not. It's not to say that if your conscience is good with it, well, then God must be good with it. No, it's not how this operates. Your conscience does not have the authority to override what is revealed in the word of God. If God calls it a sin, it is a sin, whether you feel conviction around it or not. But the bottom line is, do not violate your conscience in these disputable matters. And never, ever, ever ask someone to violate their conscience. Let's end back where we began. The overarching point of today is simple. Love for your brothers and sisters is more important than your liberty in Jesus. So only when we're acting out of our convictions in a way that honors, shows love to our brothers and sisters, should we be acting in all the liberty that Jesus has given us. Do you love them enough to lay down your liberties. Jesus loved them enough to lay down his life. I don't think it's too much for him to ask us to lay down some of our freedoms. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And I pray today that you would give us a, 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 a such a clear conviction around how we should handle these disputable matters and then live out those convictions with love for our brothers and sisters and that we would be willing to lay down any and every right for the sake of those that you laid your life down for. It's in Christ we pray, amen.
Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.